tonight, if you would please take your Bibles to Luke chapter 7 tonight. Now this morning, after the service, my mom texted me and she asked me if me and Amy had planned the way that song went with the sermon. And I said, no, I think Amy was just singing that song for the missions conference. And I was just preaching a sermon about the gospel and presenting that and all that thing that we talked about this morning. Uh, I, I said, uh, you know, we didn't plan it like that. It just so happened. And she said, isn't that amazing how God works like that? And I said, yeah, it is. Well, then, and then tonight, if it, it's very humorous because, you know, I haven't talked to Miss Dyer at all about that song. And, and essentially, that's exactly what we're talking about tonight. I do apologize this being the opening night for the missions conference. And, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to get that off to a good uh, uh, right step. But, you know, I, I feel like we should just continue in our series on the healer of the broken. That's what we'll do. I didn't even know until uh, probably Tuesday or Wednesday that I was going to be preaching twice, and, and this was the sermon that I had planned to preach, so that's what we're going to go with. And if you don't like it, well, I got news for you. I'm the one up here with the microphone, so you can just tough it out. Amen? And so uh, we'll just go with what uh, the Lord has laid on my heart, okay? Luke chapter 7, verse 11. All I want to talk to you about tonight is a journey of pain. A journey of pain. Luke chapter 7 Verse 11, the Bible says, And it came to pass the, ne- the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited His people. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for the power of it. We thank You for what we've already felt and what we've already heard. And Lord, I pray that You would already be working in hearts to stir them to a decision. But Father, now we present Your Word through the preaching of Your Word. And so Father, please open our hearts, illuminate the Scriptures to us through Your Holy Spirit. And may we be ready to receive something from you. And that's all I ask this evening. It's in your son's precious name. Amen. Now, life sometimes can get difficult. No doubt, at times it gets very hard. Uh, You know, we're a very busy people. We're a very busy society here in America. And at times it can get difficult and even painful, a painful journey. When I was going to college in California, many times we would have to venture out there in my vehicle. I did not fly out there very much. My dad uh, was able to buy me a truck, and he wanted me to have one while I was out there. And and it was a huge benefit and a huge blessing to me while I was there. Uh, And even for little reasons, like uh, we were able to go soul winning, uh, and and I didn't have to depend on someone else. And I wish I could tell you that that's basically all I use my truck for, but now running down to McDonald's was a huge benefit as well. Uh, I didn't have to depend on a roommate or something like that. 
But I did have a truck out there, but in order for the truck to be out there, we obviously had to drive it from here. And I've driven quite a bit in my life. When I was much younger, we would often go up to Tennessee. In fact, exactly where my dad is this, this weekend, we would drive up there. And, and I think that's about a 14-hour drive. When uh, my sister went to college, we would often drive to Pensacola, Florida. And that's an 11-hour drive. But, you know, if you start here and you head east or north, it's pretty country. And generally, you can see large trees if you head east. And, and if you head north, there's big open plains that are there. And, and really, I like both of those styles of country. But let's just be honest. If you've never traveled west, you might not have no idea what I'm talking about. But when you get past Abilene, it is all downhill from there. And see, we're very accustomed to driving out towards Abilene, so I know that route very, very well. And I can enjoy some of the mesquite trees and some of the, you know, what Texas beauty is to me. And, and somebody else might think it's ugly as sin, but I think it's, you know, it's Texas. And that's what I think Texas is. And so I enjoy that type of country. But when you get past Abilene, there's about a seven-hour leg from Abilene to El Paso. That is horrible. But when you get past El Paso, it goes farther down from there. And literally, you're just begging to see a jackrabbit, because that would make it much prettier. But it's no, there are no trees. It is all brown. There's no green. There's no color. I don't even know how, but the sky is brown over there. It's just... There's no water. The water is brown. It's just a muddy, sandy. It's just all nasty. And honestly, you drive 20 hours, just over 20 hours to Lancaster, California. And from, from El Paso to 10 or 11 hours, it is all just ugly. There's one stretch along that road where they charge almost $7 a gallon of gas because there's not a single building besides that one for 70 miles. Just stretches of ugly. And that's a very painful journey because, you know, your legs are cramped. I'm a taller guy, so uh, I, I'm in pain the whole time. I don't even get to enjoy the beautiful birds or, or, or the, the beautiful trees. No, it's just a painful journey. You know, in life we face several painful journeys, and I hope that you're not in one now, but chances are you will face one soon if you're not. And tonight all I simply want to look at is how the healer of the broken dealt with this lady who had a painful journey in her life. First of all, we'll notice in verses 12 and 13 how the difficulty of the pain was to her. The difficulty of the pain. Verse 12. And now we meet this woman. We see who she is. Jesus enters a city called Nain. And he, pull, he, he brings a large crowd with them. And I want you to stop here and notice. The people that were with Jesus were joyful. And the people that were with the, the uh, uh, grave cemetery burial, they were not joyful. And really you can remove the burial... People who spend time with Christ are always joyful. And people that do not very rarely have any joy. 
And in fact, they don't have joy. It's a temporary happiness. But you see Jesus coming in with people who are excited about his ministry. He's just healed a centurion's servant. Man, everything is great. Everything is, uh, they're seeing miracles performed. It's all good. And then they enter this funeral procession. And now verse 12, the Bible says, Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out. Now funerals, as in general, are much sadder than weddings most of the time. Yeah, see, that was funny. This morning y'all weren't laughing either. And it was just y'all. Because the jokes are gold, okay? But they enter this city and this man is being carried out, uh, the Bible says, on a bier or a stretcher. It's not a casket. It's not a closed casket. It's very much what we would call a stretcher. And they're escorting this man out of the city who is dead. Now, who is this man? The Bible goes on to describe that his mother was there with him, watching her son be carried to burial. Not only was his mother there, but she was a widow. So she doesn't have a husband. He's already passed on, and the Bible doesn't tell us why, but she doesn't have a husband. Now she doesn't have a son. The Bible says that it was her only son, and now this woman's life is beginning to be a very painful one. Three reasons why her life was so painful. First of all, because of the unfair timing of this event. The unfair timing of this event. Now, the city's name, Nyam, that means pleasant. That means pleasant or delightful. The name of the city connotates or necessitates a happy feeling about it. But you see here, this day, it was not a pleasant day. And really, sometimes in the Christian life, we are supposed to have pleasant times, are we not? It's supposed to be a happy life. It's supposed to be good. If you don't have happiness, I promise you're not spending time in the Word of God. You ought to be a happy person if you know the Son of God who died for you. But this lady coming from a pleasant town is having a very unpleasant time. And really, first of all, it's because of the unfair timing of the event. Now, if we were to think about it, does it not just make sense that a parent should never have to bury their child? It's unnatural. It would seem as if the older, the ones who are more experienced in life, ought to be the ones to pass off the scene first. And that seems like the normal, the, the standard way for life to go. But do problems come when we want them to? You know what I've noticed about my life? When problems come in my life, they're very untimely. And if they're not untimely and I can take care of the problem, it wasn't much of a problem to begin with, was it? You see, problems come at the worst time, do they not? And this woman uh, should have never had to bury her son, common sense would tell us. But God had a plan. And that's something we have to understand in each and every one of our trials. Oh, no matter how untimely it may seem, no matter how uh, uncomfortable, no, no matter how short the finances may be running, we have no way to meet this item, this need. God has a plan in every problem He throws our way. 
first of all, because of the unfair timing. Second of all, because of her unsure future. Now, let's just break it down. This woman is burying her only son. She doesn't have a husband, for he's already passed off as well. Now, this society was not set up to take great care of the widows. Uh, At this time, the church has not been fully functioning, and so the church is not taking care of the widows. She is now going to have a tough go at life because of her situation. And although it may not seem very fair, she now had to wonder, the day after the burial, after everybody is no longer with her, how was her life going to go? So unsure and so uncertain of tomorrow. And often we find ourselves in that same place, don't we? I mean, when the problem hits us, are we not saying, well, man, I hope I can make it till tomorrow. Man, I hope he doesn't call. Man, I hope this thing will just work it out because I don't want to deal with this tomorrow. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34 says this, Take no thought uh, for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Notice this, though, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What does that mean? Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. The Bible's instructing Christians to not worry about the problems for tomorrow because you're going to have plenty of them tomorrow. And you have plenty of them now. Don't worry about things that are not even occurring now. Don't worry about the, the worries of tomorrow. Take no thought for tomorrow because you'll still have problems tomorrow. But deal with the ones that you have today with the grace that God has given you today. Oh, man, we look at this, and and I would hate to be in this woman's shoes because, man, it was just untimely. It was an unsure time in her life. But thirdly, now she had to walk an unaccompanied journey. An unaccompanied journey. See, this woman, uh, we look here in verse 12, and it talks about how much people of the city were with her. But I promise you, Although there was a great multitude surrounding her, she had probably never felt more lonely in her life. Until you've stood beside the grave of someone that you care about, someone that you cared about deeply, you'll never feel loneliness like that. And you're hurting for you, you're hurting for others who cared about that person. And no matter how many people put their arm around you and say, Brother, we're praying for you, Brother, we love you, You just feel lonely. And that's a sad time. You know, there's other people in the Bible who felt lonely. I'm reminded specifically of Elijah. I don't know if you know this, but at the time of Elijah's most lonely time in his ministry, it came directly after, arguably, the greatest victory in his ministry. Oh, Elijah had one of the most phenomenal stories in all the Bible, and I personally believe it had to be one of the most dramatic scenes in all the Old Testament as he called out the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and he just said, you pray unto your God, I'll pray unto my God, and the God who answers by fire, that's the God we're going to serve. And everybody said, okay, okay, okay. And those prophets of Baal, besides their greatest efforts, they cut themselves and they screamed, uh, screamed out the name of Baal. They even laid themselves on the altar as a sacrifice if he would just answer their prayers. We know Baal doesn't answer prayers because Baal doesn't have the power to answer prayers. But Elijah, 
took God at His Word and just said, God, answer me. Glorify yourself today. And man, the fire fell from heaven. What a tremendous victory. Elijah was able to slay the prophets of Baal. And everybody knew that day that there was a God in Israel. Oh, but it's not long after that. When word gets back to Jezebel, and she hears about everything that went on down there at Mount Carmel, and she doesn't like what she hears. And she sends a word to old uh, Elijah. She sends word to him, which I find that unique, that she sent a messenger to Elijah, and he was able to easily find Elijah. Uh, That's probably why Elijah went to hide. But she sends word to Elijah and says, Elijah, this time tomorrow I'm going to do the same thing to you that you've just done to all my prophets. Now that's coming from a woman who could back it up. Like when my wife tells me she's going to beat me, I listen to her because she can back it up. And Jezebel talks to Elijah and says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah begins to get very worried about, you know, his safety. He begins to get very discouraged and, and very lonely. And he goes down into the wilderness. And Elijah says this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. Uh, uh, oh, Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's he requested that he might die he felt so alone he was willing to just say I'm through with it Lord what a sad place to be you know there are times when you will feel lonely Christian not because your God has forsaken you but because that's the way our flesh makes us feel And just like Elijah, uh, over underneath the juniper tree, worried about tomorrow, worried about what would happen to him when Jezebel did find him, worried about all that, he just felt so lonely. He said, I, even I, Lord, it is enough. Uh, Verse 14, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I... Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Oh, he felt very lonely that day. But you know what the Lord responds to him and says? The Lord reassures him that he's not alone. He says, Elijah, in verse 18, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. The fact of the matter is, when Elijah laid under that juniper tree so discouraged and so so alone, he, he felt just all by himself that day. And he just said, Lord, it's only me. And God said, no, Elijah, it's not you. I've got thousands of people just like you. I've got thousands of people who are willing to stand up for me and not bow their knee to Baal. Elijah, you're not alone, not to mention, I'm still your God. And I still love you. And just like I fed you over by the brook Cherith, I can take care of you now, Elijah. You don't worry about you taking your life. Look, you don't ask me to take your life. Elijah, I'm still with you. No matter how untimely your problems may seem, no matter uh, uh, how unprepared we are for them, and no matter uh, how lonely we may feel at times, the Bible reassures us. He has said, He will never leave us nor forsake. Oh, we'll face pain. 
Our journey will not always be a, a, a soft, smooth road. But God says he'll be there with us. And he'll be there for us. But this lady had a difficult time. And I couldn't imagine being in her shoes. But that all being said, I do believe we have to move to the second point, which is to allow the discretion of the providence. You see, our road may be very difficult and may be painful, but don't we have to give God some leeway? I mean, isn't that all God's plan anyway? Isn't it all up to Him anyway? I believe we ought to trust in the discretion of the providence. First of all, I want you to notice, this miracle did not come any too early. It did not come any too late. It happened at the exact right second. Look in verse 13. Now, Jesus has ushered in this group into the city. They meet the funeral procession. In verse 13, he looks at them, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. But isn't it a little late, Jesus? I mean, I mean, he's already on the stretcher. I mean, they've already dug his grave. Jesus, isn't it a little bit too late? I mean, you've, you've healed the sick. Lord, I'm not questioning your ability. You've, you, you, you've healed lepers and you, you've healed blinded eyes. Lord, I'm not questioning that, but isn't it now just a little bit too late? But Jesus shows up at the exact right time. Oh, isn't this eerily similar to the story of Lazarus? Uh, what a great story that is. The Bible teaches us that Jesus hears of Lazarus being sick. And the Bible says that Lazarus is sick for two days. And Jesus says to his disciples, this sickness is not unto death. And they say, okay, okay, okay. Well, two days later, Jesus says, Lazarus sleepeth. And his disciples, remembering what was said the day before, they say, well, that's good, Lord. That's good because, you know, if he's sick, rest will help him recover. It'll be good for him. Lazarus sleepeth. That's good, Lord. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. He says it plainly the next time, Lazarus is dead. And I couldn't imagine what his disciples must have thought at that time. They would say, but Lord, you told us just two days ago that he wasn't going to die. You said from the words of your mouth, this sickness is not unto death. When Jesus arrives where Lazarus was buried, Lazarus' sister meets Jesus. And oh, the famous words that we're so familiar with, Lord, if you had just been here, Lazarus would not have died. The, the promise, though, is so special that he gave his disciples, says, this sickness is not unto death for the Son of Man is to receive glory from it. You know what? No sickness, no death is no different to Jesus than doing the smallest of things. Jesus is so powerful. Death and sickness and problems in our own life, they make no difference to Him for the same Lord that heals the leper, the same man that gives sight to the blind, the same man who heals the hurting, the same man that helps those who have difficulties and problems in their life. The same God heals the hurting 
heals the, the, the broken. The same God restores fellowship to Him. The same God forgives people. The same God saves people. And the same God raises people from death to life. You see, there's no problem with Jesus. And although it may have seemed just a little bit too late to this boy's mother, although her problem at this point must have seemed so large and so out of hand, Jesus showed up at the exact right second. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, and we'll even read this later in the sermon, but the Bible says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. What a great promise. But the Bible says, and find grace to help in time of need. You see, Jesus will show up. He promises he will. Even when the children of Israel are about to cross the Red Sea and everything looks hopeless, everything looks lost, he puts a barrier between them and Pharaoh's army, and they're able to walk across on dry ground at the exact right time. Christian, may I encourage you this evening... Have faith in God. No matter how big the problem in your path tonight, God is still a providing God. But trust in His providence. Make sure we understand that He has full discretion in our lives. And if He needs to delay this problem to strengthen or grow our faith, I think that would be a good thing for us. Oh, He always shows up at the right second. But secondly... He showed up at the right setting. He showed up at the right setting. Verse number 12, and we've already seen how in verse number 11, the funeral procession is heading out of the city, and the Bible says, and much people, I'm sorry, in verse 11, there were many of Jesus' disciples, and much people, they were following Jesus in verse 11. Now in verse 12, the widow and her son come out of the city, and, and there's a large congregation with them. The Bible does not tell us exactly how many people, but I would think if two groups of much people combined, would that not be a large amount of people? I don't know what the Bible considers much people, but I would say that there was double much people when two groups of much people gathered. Can I just ask you, how much glory would God have gotten if Jesus had healed this boy in private? Some. No doubt that woman would have been just as thankful. No doubt it would have meant just as much to her if he had done it in a closed up room as, as Jesus doing it wide open in the public with the double much people around. But the reason Jesus waited was so that others could see him provide. And so that others could see that He was the Messiah. And that others could see that He was the one that Isaiah prophesied about. He was the one the psalmist wrote about. He was the prophet. He was the one that would come and heal the broken and help the hurting. Jesus was the one. But nobody sees that in private. But out in public? Oh, there were a lot of people that glorified God this day. I wonder if the reason God is not working in your life and seemingly removing this problem from you is because He wants more people to glorify Him because of your problem than just you. I don't want to belabor this illustration, but 
You know, what if my wife and I had lost our daughter in private? What if we had only uh, lost her, uh, just me and Amy knowing, and never have shared that with you? You think God had a plan for us losing her the day after she's legally supposed to be given a, a, a funeral? You think God had a plan? You know why I did that? So others could see Him working in our life. Don't question God's timing. Don't question the setting that God's going to help you through. Don't question God. Give some discretion to His providence. Oh, how often we want our answers now, now, now. But I just believe if Daniel's answer came in the valley against a giant... I assume David would have rather not ever ventured down there to fight him. I'm just thinking that if the three Hebrew children had to go all the way to the fiery furnace to get their answer from God, I I, I think they would have rather just never ever been in the fire to begin with. Then I would probably say if we go ask Daniel, Daniel, did you enjoy your night in the lion's den? He said, man, I'd rather not have been there. Those cats stank. God shut their mouth, but lions don't smell well. You know, we don't want to face the fire. We don't want to be in the difficult valley. But that's when we see God the clearest. Maybe God's waiting to do something great through your life. When I was younger, we, were, we uh, purchased a bass boat. Now, I, I enjoyed bass fishing. I enjoyed watching it. I was never good at it. I'm still not good at it. If you all have any tips or tricks... Go ahead and let me in on them because I just don't catch very many fish when I'm not shooting them. I can shoot them with a bow pretty well, but man, as far as getting them to bite, I'm doing something wrong. So I force feed them. (laughs) That's another gold joke. You guys are... I even thought that one up before. That's just a... I'm just kidding. But we we purchased this bass boat and... And Dad knew I had wanted one, and I had even been praying for one for some time. And so Dad was able to get this, and it was a great thing. And I remember the very first time my mom and me and my dad took this boat out on the water. We took it out, and we had to be back for football practice, peewee football practice that evening. And we enjoyed our little joyride. I couldn't tell you what size motor the boat had. I, I remember what it looked like. But, you know, we were enjoying ourselves out there just riding in our new boat. But we came in and we had to get to football practice, like I said. There was a man sitting on the dock fishing. And I think he was looking harder at the bottom of his beer can for fish than he was in the lake. Because this man was drunker than a skunker. He smelled. He just... he, he could not even form sentences. And we pulled up to load the boat on the trailer. And like like I said, this is the first time we've ever taken this boat out. And I don't think any of us had ever had much experience around boats at that time. So we're all kind of winging it. And maybe you've never done this, but it's not the easiest thing in the world, loading a boat on a trailer. Because you've got the wind pushing you one way, and you've got You've got to get the boat just centered on the trailer. And we start to load it, and about 45 minutes later, we're still fighting with this thing. And my mom backed in the truck uh, and got the uh, boat trailer in the water, 
But now, Dad's not been able to get it up on there with just the motor. So now Mom has taken the, the basically, if you just imagine a ratchet strap, she's taken the ratchet strap out about 12 feet, hiked up her culottes, obviously, hiked up her culottes, and she's crawling in the water just to go hook the boat and crank it on the boat trailer. I mean, and the whole time, this guy that is just drunk off his rocker is sitting over here laughing. For 45 minutes, I think he even stopped fishing just to laugh at us. And when we finally got the boat on the trailer, he was depressed. And he said these words, That was better than dinner and a show. I kid you not. Now, if it had been up to me, I would have rather that man been on a whole different lake. I would have rather just been embarrassed in private. But he was there. Now, sometimes we don't want people to see us through our hurts. But how could people ever see when God heals if other people were not aware? And I'm not saying go all throughout the church and approach everybody... Oh, brother, I have such a need in my life. Please don't mistake that. I believe it's a wise thing to tell people that care about you and ask them for their prayer. But by no means, do not just spurt your problems all over church. But I do believe there's something to be said about God doing a miracle in the life of a Christian. Oh, some of my dearest friends, and there's some in this church, some that I'm very close with, I have seen God work in their lives through immensely painful uh, trials, you know what? I've seen their faith grow through them. And it grew my faith that God could work in their life. Oh, I just believe that God always does it the right second and He always does it in the right setting. But we do have to give some discretion to Him and allow His sovereignty and His providence to just have full reign in our lives. Thirdly, though, we need to move on as we look at now Jesus kind of answering the miracle. Jesus doing what he always does, doing great. Jesus shows up, and I want to talk to you quickly about the display of his person. The display of his person. Now, verse number 13, the Bible says this, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said unto her, Weep not, verse 14, And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead set up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. Man, the power of the word of Christ. I'm so thankful that he is the living word. I'm so thankful that he is the true one of Israel, the Messiah, the, the, all, the one who created all that is. And the Bible says, by his very word, uh, everything is upheld. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, who, bre- who being the brightness uh, of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. I don't care how many scientists tell you that our earth is rotating perfectly on its axis and has been for millions and billions of years. You know why our earth is is doing well? It's because of Jesus' word. The one that created it is still the one that sustains it. 
And Jesus is the one that has this saying, all safe. And I'm not really that worried about global warming because Jesus is doing it with his word. The word of God is what's keeping us and maintaining this old uh, world of ours. Matthew chapter 8, there's a beautiful story about Jesus talking to his disciples. And the congregation was getting pretty large. And he says, you know what, boys, we need to cross over to the other side of the sea. And this is no problem for, it's very obvious, Jesus chose his disciples wisely. As much sailing as he would be doing, he hired a couple fishermen. Isn't that what he did? And you got a couple guys there that were, you know, if they needed to load a boat, they could probably do it in much less than 45 minutes. But Jesus nonetheless tells them, guys, we need to go cross the sea. Matthew chapter 8, these men, they do exactly what Jesus says and And they set voyage. Jesus goes in the back of the boat and he starts sleeping. And a storm comes up. And it must have been a bad storm because, as I already said, these men were professional people on the water. I mean, they knew how to handle things in the worst of the worst. But they got so concerned that they went to the back of the boat and woke up the master, didn't they? He said, Jesus, uh, you might want to come look. The winds are a little vehement. And that's a good word that us uh, fundamental independent Baptists need to apply to everyday language. Vehement. Don't you think that would be good for us to do? Man, that's a vehement water jug there. Uh, It doesn't even make sense. Just use KJV English. That's good. And they just said, Lord, you better come take a look at this. This is... This is getting a little out of hand, and Jesus wakes up, and and, and we know what he does. He steps out, and and we kind of imagine him out on the bow of the boat just, you know, for for drama. He steps out and lifts up his arms. That's what we all imagine. That's what the flanographs showed us, wasn't it? Jesus, oh, I don't necessarily know if he had to do that, but Jesus just steps out, and he says, peace be still. And the winds and the waves obey. And these guys that have been spending day after day with him, they've been spending all the time in the world with him. Even they began to question. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is it? Is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? You know why they went to him? is because he was the only one that could fix the problem. You know what's wise for Christians to go to Christ in their crisis? is because he's the only one that can fix the problem. And I hope that when you come out on the other side of your, of your valley or when you come out of the other side of your difficulty or problem, you, along with the disciples, are able to sing the song, What manner of man is it? What manner of man is this that even my biggest problems obey his voice? Oh, the power of Christ is so wonderful. I'm just thankful that he would ever consider using it for me. But he does. Oh, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? What a display of power he showed that evening. And secondly, I want you to notice the display of his passion. Look in verse 13. Please don't miss this. And when the Lord saw her, and who knows, maybe it was because of her circumstances, 
Maybe it was because she was a widow. But I just tend to think Jesus has this much compassion on everyone. The Bible says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. What did this woman do to deserve his compassion? Nothing. She's just walking by, sad, mourning the loss of her son, unsure of what tomorrow may hold. And Jesus saw her and had compassion on her. That's good. I'm thankful the Lord has compassion on each and every one of us. Now I want you to ask ask you to do something. Please take your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4. You know, I often, sometimes I would rather just quote the verses and and emphasize the powerful part or the the part that means the most to the sermon. And, And maybe that's a fault of mine. I do not know. But this time, I specifically want you to look at Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read just a few verses. We're going to read four verses. And I hope they encourage you in some manner. Just to let you know that Christ does love you. And He does care about your problems. Verse 14 says this. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now notice here in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly before unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know why Jesus came to this earth? He came to this earth to save the, save the souls of mankind. That's exactly what John 3.16 says. The Bible says that God loved His Son, and He loved His only begotten Son, but He loved the world so much that He sent Him to die for us. Is that not what John 3.16 tells us? It's a beautiful doctrine of, of God's love for us. But another reason Christ came to this earth to die was so that he could face the problems that we face in his 33 years here. So that he could face every temptation and, as these verses say, face every infirmity that we would ever face. And he walked that line and he he lived that life and the Bible says and he did it perfectly, yet without sin. Peter tells us, There was no guile found in his mouth, no imperfections. He did it perfectly. But my dad's taught us before, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is when you share concern for someone, but you've never faced that problem like they have. But empathy is walking up to someone and saying, you know, it was not that long ago that I was in your shoes. 
And I faced the exact same problem you're facing, and God helped me through it. You know how Christ came to this earth? is so he could be empathetic and not just sympathetic. He faced every problem we'll ever face. He faced loneliness. He faced uh, fear. He faced trials. He faced temptations. And the Bible says he did it perfectly. And now the Bible tells us that we can go to him, the one that knows how to succeed, because remember, he's already done it. And we can go boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain a mercy in our time of need. What a great truth of the Word of God. That Christ would care enough about us to help us through difficulties in our own life. And I promise you one thing. This woman, as she was walking out of town that day ready to bury her son, she was glad Christ was there. Uh, if you'll just trust him, you'll be glad Christ is in your problems as well. Amen. It was nearly 200 years ago, there was a man riding across the country and he neared a battlefield. And at this battlefield, there was a small battalion of men digging a hole, or in other words, a trench, so that they might be able to fight, because that was territory that both sides wanted to claim. They dug this trench, and they dug this trench, and as this stranger rode upon them, uh, he saw them, and he saw that the men digging the trench were extremely exhausted. He saw they were very tired. But he saw there was a man off to the side, and he said, Sir, what are you doing? That man said, Well, we're digging a hole. We're building a trench so that we can fight this war, so that we can maintain this ground. And, And the man said, Well, why are you not helping? He said, well, sir, I'm the ranking officer here. I am supposed to tell these men what to do, and they do it. The man kind of looked at him uh, oddly, and he said, and why aren't you helping? And the man kind of got aggravated because, after all, he was the ranking officer. And he looked right back at that man, the the man that was across the trench there, and he said, "Uh, I am the ranking officer, and I'm the one that has authority here. If you feel so bad for him, why don't you just get off your horse and help them dig the trench? Well, the man, to the uh, leader's surprise, took off his jacket, dismounted his horse, and began to dig with the men in the trench. Stayed there until the trench was completed. One dig after another dig, and after it was completed, he went to each and every man, shook their hand, congratulated them on the accomplishment, and said, thank you for your service. He looked up at the man, he said, sir, next time your uh, rank keeps you from doing your duty and helping your men, please let your ranking officer know, and I will fix it. Man, just about to whip a, a, a smart comeback to him, got, got down off his horse, went and met the man in his face, and he noticed that it was none other than his commander-in-chief, George Washington. And George Washington was the one who was willing to get down in that trench and dig it with those men because he cared about them. And he was willing to help them through the difficulty they were facing. You know what? There's two people in that story. There's a man who feels like he's too good, and there's a man who's willing to help. And I'm glad our Savior is the latter. For he could just as easily be completely removed from this world and not care about you and me, not care about the the human problems that we face, not care about the drama that we face every single day, just not care about us. No, he's willing to come down and help each and every one of us. The fact of the matter tonight is, we will face journeys of pain. 
We will face difficult times. But I just want to stop right here and say, there's a Savior who cares enough about you to help you through it.